I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help with the aid of my favorite wrestling show. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week, it's me, it's Bob, <laughs> and it's the episode of NXT that originally aired ah. on March 15th, 2014, in a triple threat podcast. Oh no! <laughs> also in this episode, a feud? In uh, the tag team division? Oh, oh my goodness. What the fuck is going on here? <laughs> it's appeared out of nowhere, much like a wild Pokemon. I'm gonna make you watch that show, damn it. <laughs> Episode 52 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, we got to talk about some daffy-ass wrestling with Claire Mulcairn, and she was legitimately compelled by the finish of the Battle Royal, which made us extremely happy, as did the entire rest of our conversation with her, because she is great. Claire is a delight. She is. This episode gives us the rest of that part of the story via a triple threat match, and I am very much looking forward to hearing what Bob thought about it, which we will do in Bob's breakdown. We will then get into the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling before hearing Bob's latest women's wrestling history fanfic. We will answer one of Bob's long-standing questions in Wrestling Term of the Week, and finish things up with the Cheap Pop Quiz. And Bob... We didn't have a cheap pop quiz on the last episode, so I think we can just jump right into it. Let's get into Bob's breakdown. Our commentary team for this episode is Tom Phillips, Byron Saxton, and William Regal. Good team, honestly. Okay. Of all yeah. of all the combinations that you could get in NXT, replace Byron with Renee and like we're golden. Yes. So our vampire lads come out in shirts that have been transformed into sandwich boards. It's just a front, a back, and a neck, no sides. So it is just two flaps of fabric. And, you know, it's been a while since they've had a good feed, so it's time to throw some jobbers in the ring Mm -hmm. for them to snack upon. Buddy Murphy, which is a hell of a name that that sounds like an old radio personality from the 30s. Buddy Murphy! It's the Buddy Murphy hour! Yes! Sorry. And Elias Sampson, Buddy Murphy, is in black and green garter shorts. We might come back to this. We, we might come back Elias to this. Elias <laughs> Sampson in blue Speedo briefs that are very ordinary. You've been on this ride long enough to know what happens. The highlight is Connor kicking the stuffing out of Buddy Murphy until the crowd starts screaming, One more, yeah! One more, yeah! And uh, just perfect. The Fall of Man is executed upon Buddy Murphy, and it's over. And... Now for the reason we should. This is the important part. Medieval Minute. Yeah. Now, this is a thing that Dan Mulcairn suggested, and I was like, well, Dan's a genius. This is the best thing ever. (laughs) When there's a new jobber tag team, we're going to take a second and state what we think their medieval humor of the four medieval humors blood, phlegm, yellow bile, and black bile, right. we think each member of the tag team is. Or each, so, each jobber just individual. I think we should do it for every jobber. Every new jobber. Oh, every jobber? Yeah, why not? Oh, gracious. Yeah. All right. You know what? Let's go crazy. Medieval minute all round. Every new jobber okay. gets a medieval minute. That's the rule now. They deserve it. Yeah. You know? I mean, they probably deserve a lot more than that. But this is, this is the least they deserve, and boy, are we happy to deliver. <laughs> okay. I'm going to start with mine. Getting real phlegmatic vibes from Elias Sampson. Like, he just seems so chill and uninvolved, okay. even when Victor shoved him off the apron. Okay. I was kind of like, oh, he's just he's just here for it, you know. Okay. And then Buddy Murphy, sanguine. I think his predominant humor is blood because he was totally willing to start the match against this tag team that has devoured everybody in their path and had the optimism in his soul to wear those inexplicable fluttery garter shorts with green flames. <laughs> so. 
Miles, what are your thoughts about Buddy Murphy and Elias Sampson? So this is really interesting. I should say that my views on this are a little bit corrupted by the fact that I know who they become later. Like I'm more familiar Mm -hmm. with Buddy Murphy and Elias Sampson as longstanding characters than you are. For Buddy Murphy, I got a very strong yellow bile vibe, especially knowing how his career goes. I understand why you're saying sanguine in this moment. But to me, (laughs) looking back at Buddy Murphy now, I'm like, man, that guy is choleric as fuck. And we just don't we just don't know it yet. We just don't know yet how choleric he is. Choler is like that's angry, right? Yeah, it's like anger and violence and ambition. And then for Elias Sampson, I actually had black bile. I do think he's got kind of a a melancholic thing going on. Uh, I agree with you in that he's sort of he seems a little bit um, uninvolved and distant. But I think to that you Mm -hmm. add the the more melancholic aspect of the personality, which is that he's very much in his feelings. And we didn't get that. We didn't get really Mm -hmm. to see that in this match. But like Elias Sampson is very deeply uh, involved in. In his own heart and soul in many ways. And so uh, I think between that and the fact that I have often called him a cancer, I think that Black Biles (laughs) is the one. I'm not a huge fan. I'm not a huge fan of Elias Simpson. You don't say. So that's why I went uh, went Black Bile for him and Yellow Bile for uh, Buddy Murphy. I like that we got all four of them in between us. We did not plan this out ahead of time. This has been Medieval Minute. Connor reaches for the mic. I mean, this is new. Yeah. The crowd is excited about it, though. And I was clenching a little bit going, oh, God, I hope this works out okay. Connor says that they've laid waste to every tag team in the NXT universe. Victor adds, you know, we need something new to destroy. Fair enough. The music for El Local and Callisto hits. They come out and in a promo that is in Spanglish, which I was really excited about because I always love that. My favorite part, if you've ever seen Lucha Underground, is whenever people just cut a promo in Spanish or in a mix of Spanish and English. Love it every time. So they come out to say, hey, we're right here. Come and get us. I'm going to bite my knuckles now. They tried to start a a Lucha, Lucha chant. Yeah, they did. And the crowd (laughs) doesn't go for it <laughs> that was, and they start yeah. chanting yeah they go for it for a second and they kind of think about it and they're oh. like you know what no <laughs> there was like three luchas and then the crowd went you know you have not been here you right. don't go to this school we don't love you even though the ascension hasn't done a whole lot to earn their anything other than just do the things they've always done And I guess at a certain point, that's enough. And I appreciate that the crowd is loyal. But I was also like, oh, God, poor Lucha people like this. This is rough. There was so much acknowledgement on commentary during this match of what their tag division is. I was honestly kind of surprised, especially from Regal, because people like Phillips and Saxton are trying to do this thing where they're like, they've run through everybody in the division. They've issued an open challenge, like trying to do the company line. And Regal's over here going like, did anybody hear their open challenge? Because as far as I can tell, like they've just been knocking down tomato cans this entire time. (laughs) He just goes, he's like, I I just want them to fight somebody who's who's got like some kind of credentials to them. And it's like, yeah, you and me both. I know. I was kind of shocked to hear Regal just come out and say, you know, it'd be nice for them to fight somebody credible. And it was like, oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, that would be nice. I can't believe you said that at your work. And, you know, Kalisto and El Local is a start. They are a tag team. Yeah. <laughs> I am curious to observe NXT's continuing relationship with tag teams as a concept and their commitment to it, because I don't know the extent to which WWE has ever really valued or cared about tag team stuff as much as some other promotions have done, you know, naming no names. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. There's a lot of different promotions that I can think of that have like a different relationship with tag teams, whether for better or worse. Yeah. And it's just interesting that WWE is the main sort of the presence of wrestling has the one that it has. And I'm just curious if it remains this way or if it evolves or if there's ups and downs. It's a whole conversation and that we can totally get into uh, at some point. Just to 
insert here our regular acknowledgement whenever he shows up that Ricardo Rodriguez, a.k.a. El Local, has been uh, named in the Speaking Out movement and might be a piece of shit. Uh, Yes. Also has some oatmeal in his mouth or something when he gets his promo. (laughs) He was having having a bit of a hard time enunciating those words. Sammy is being interviewed by Veronica, who is new and has her hair in a bun instead of down. And I really liked it. (laughs) Yeah. So our beautiful bouncy boy says that he knows this triple threat is going to be a tough one. But when he gets something in his head, got to see it through. So he's in this to win it. And then we cut back to the ring. And Miles, just an update, Tyler Breeze has entered the building. So he will be here for the triple threat. Indeed. Match two. Semifinals of the Women's Championship Tournament and Dallas Cowboys Tinkerbell bops to the ring. It's Alexa Bliss. Charlotte stalks down the ramp in red and black, so we know she's means business. Bell goes. Bliss leaps onto Charlotte's back and starts kicking and flailing. I love it. I love seeing a tiny, feisty, angry person. <laughs> it's like a little yapping dog. Yes! In the tradition of larger opponents everywhere, Charlotte just scraped this barnacle off on the ring post. Yes. If you have ever ridden a horse that wasn't particularly keen on being ridden (laughs) or a pony, this is the traditional move. (laughs) Just going, what is the nearest surface that I can just brush against hard enough to get this child away from me? (laughs) So Bliss goes for the same twisty twirly move into this little ball of a roll up that she did on Fox. Charlotte just flings her off, though. So Charlotte's clearly been watching tape, which mm-hmm. we're supposed to believe is the thing that people do, which I appreciate <laughs> that that there is even the conversation of tape. That's the thing they do in real sports. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I guess you would in a real sport, and I know people do. But that always sounded like the fakest ass shit whenever like, oh, we have to watch tape for football. And I'm like, fucking do you? What are you doing? In real sports, there are people whose entire job is to watch tape. I don't know. I would like to see one season. And this is just me. One season of all sports where they ban that. And they're like, (laughs) no, everybody just has to guess. We're just going to fucking guess every time. Or you remember it and then you get to use whatever you remember. But this is not an open book test. This is a closed book exam. Sam, and I want to see what happens to sports. I'd be into that, honestly. I just have an anarchic bent to me about <laughs> sports. I just want to see a little bit more chaos, and I'm really disappointed when I don't get it. <laughs> Charlotte grabs Bliss so that their legs are tangled, and they're they're doing this spooning standing up thing, but Bliss is stretched out at an angle. Her flank exposed and stretched is that abdominal stretch. Yes, that's what it's this called. This move always looks really nice to me, like some good chiropractic stuff. Yeah. I will admit, that whenever Charlotte starts shaking Alexa Bliss's head, that looks a lot less enjoyable. Then yes. she gets Bliss into that tree of woe, which is one of the few moves, besides the Shining Wizard, that I remember because it sounds goth and high fantasy. Tree but of Tree woe. of woe, Shining Wizard. Tree of woe, I'm sure I read about that in Norse mythology. That's a thing. It's Yggdrasil's little goth brother, the Tree <laughs> of Woe. Back to that side stretch. Bliss does get in a couple of pin attempts, but they're they're a lot quicker and more opportunistic than Charlotte's. They feel very like, ah, oh, shit, I got to take my opportunity <laughs> quick. Flair catches Alexa off an Irish whip and breaks her like a breadstick over her knee and then just keeps stretching Bliss in this bridge over the knee, shoving down on her chin. Bliss fights out, ends up back broken again by Charlotte. I heard a boring from the crowd. Not, I think there was like two or three people. And I was kind of shocked. Charlotte does that fancy cutter, forcing Bliss head first into the mat. That's bow down to the queen. That's correct. Then into the pin. That's the end of the match. Miles, this crowd seemed a little cold on Charlotte or, or maybe irritated with the match or pissed off that Alexa Bliss wasn't getting to do something. I don't know what was going on. Did you get that vibe? Yeah, a little bit. It just wasn't a very good match, I think. I, they did the thing at the beginning where Alexa went for the same fancy roll-up move she used to beat Alicia Fox, and then Charlotte mm-hmm. kicked out of that, and it didn't seem like Alexa had very much of a move set after that point, and the rest of the match was just kind of Charlotte beating her up until it was time for the finish. So mm. it didn't contain really any of the usual drama that even the most basic wrestling match contains, because it was like, all right, the babyface does something, and then the heel takes over, and then the heel wins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, okay, well. Yeah, I was pissed off whenever I was writing the breakdown for this one, because I was like, I often forget what happens in the middle part of a match. 
And then I will write my way through it and then go, what the fuck? I covered all that. And then like the only thing that really matters is that they took control and then it was over. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's why I think that was why you heard the crowd have a negative reaction to that one. And she didn't even do anything that interesting in her part where she was in control. I felt like Charlotte just was going, I'm just going to be mean. Nah, was, like, yeah. All right. Yeah, no, it was really it was really slow. The abdominal stretch is a really slow, like you said, doesn't look super painful. No. And it was the bridge ca- looks pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, the backbreakers looked backbreakery, but like it was kind of a slow match until it was time for Charlotte to hit that out of the queen, which I think that more wrestling promotions should take more notice of this, of what's happening with you right now, Bob, which is that you only remember the names of moves when they have some kind of fantastical element to them. I think every move should be renamed like with a fantastical element to it. All right. Backstage, Tyler Breeze is there to show off his incredible eyebrows. I mean, he's also cutting a promo But really, the story here, Miles, is those eyebrows. Also, he points out that Canadians lack the DNA to be super good looking. Yes, he does. I don't remember if that was reported in Scientific American in 2014, but um, Uh, that's a fact, I guess. I'm not sure, but it's definitely bad news for the Canadian as fuck Tyler Breeze. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So also, he wants to point out that Sami Zayn and Tyson Kidd are not going to do whatever it takes to win because they are good people and too bad for them. So Prince pretty out. Bob, when he said that they're better people than me, so they won't go as far to win the match. Did you have Smash Fiction flashbacks? Because I absolutely had Smash Fiction flashbacks. Yes, I did. I was like, oh, I recognize this argument and it never fucking worked. That is not true. Not it absolutely once. did sometimes. Okay. It worked on me sometimes. <laughs> it worked on who? You? Maybe. I don't know, maybe. Maybe. It probably you. worked on me because I feel like I was the one who always tried to make it. It never worked on the majority of everybody else. I, You know what? I think it worked on Kit precisely once I think, because I think in Namor versus Aquaman. God, you know what? I think I think the reason that I actually like I was the one to make that point all the time was because I was the wrestling fan and I've heard that point made in the real things of wrestling. <laughs> so I was like, well, surely this is how you argue. <laughs> oh, man. If you've never listened to an episode of Smash Fiction, do yourself a favor. Go pick out one that's about something that you're interested in and listen to an impassioned attempt at making reason work in the context of complete nonsense and um, really out of the box ideas about how reality operates. I remain irrationally proud of that show. I think that show rules. Oh, yeah. 100%. Match three. Oh, good. Mojo Raleigh. <laughs> Fine. Fine. I Look, he's here. He's queer. Well, we wish. (laughs) I guess accept that this is where we are now. So thank God Aiden English comes out to rescue us from Mojo Raleigh being here. I don't know what he's singing. Obviously, it's about how great he is. Miles, do you know what he's singing? I didn't recognize the tune on this one. I recognized one tiny bit of it. And I was like, can I Google that? And then I remembered, no, you can't (laughs) Google a set of sounds. I mean, (laughs) that's not the technology we have yet. These days you can ask Siri, I guess, but it really wouldn't have worked. I recognized like a bar and I was like, I don't know what that is. Yes, I know. And that really bothered me because I was like, I think I like this song, but I don't remember what it is. So I'll never know. If you out there know what it was, (laughs) I would love to know. You will be our hero. He's wearing those blue crushed velvet leggings. Beautiful. Love it, Aiden. Thank you. His style points do not save him from being bowled over by Raleigh, Mm. who does that defensive lineman stance, which is the doggy play bow we all know. English retreats to the ropes, focuses all of his energy on just trying to grind Raleigh down after that with some forearms and kicks. I think I am prepared to accept that this might have been wishful thinking. Okay. I think I heard a Mojo Sucks chant. Was th- that a thing I heard? I think it was, actually. I think the Thank God. I think the crowd is starting to cool off on him a little bit. I know he never goes away, but I'm still like, he should feel bad about that. <laughs> he should be sorry. I mean, he does go so, away eventually. The grinding down does work. And I'm like, Mojo, where was that unflagging hypeness that you claim to possess? Where has it gone? 
English gets Raleigh into a DDT. It's that thing where you use your body weight to pull down and bonk your opponent's head onto the canvas, but you're doing a weird hug while you do it. And Regal <laughs> acts like it's a really big deal. I mean, it's a fucked up hug. It's a it's a hug if you didn't know what a hug was. Right. Regal acts like it's a super big deal when Raleigh kicks out after the DDT, and it made me go, are DDTs special? Are they important that people are like, oh, man, you can't kick out of one of those. Your head got bonked. I mean, in terms of like families of moves, I would say they're one of the (laughs) most they're considered to be one of the more impactful. You rarely get a DDT where it's like, okay, well, that didn't hurt. You know what I mean? Or it's like like a vertical suplex is just kind of a vertical suplex. Like it's a really kind of Mm -hmm. very standard vanilla move. A DDT, you're still being dropped on your head. It's usually considered not a huge deal, but like at least a big deal. There's a lot of finishers that involve the DDT. Beyond that, though, I think that Regal is just doing his job and trying to put over the move and and put over the fact that Raleigh kicked out of it. So Raleigh's hypeness comes back all of the sudden. And thank God, because it does mean that the match is almost over. He body slams English a few times before getting him to the mat and then the butt dunk for the win. Mm -hmm. The crowd appreciates it for some reason because they're fools. And I was pissed at them because I was like, you were almost on my side, audience. You almost realized that Mojo Raleigh sucks. And instead, here you are cheering. Or maybe they were just cheering because it was over. (laughs) Maybe. I'm going to cling to that because I don't want to be too hostile with this crowd because this crowd did do a cute thing that I really appreciated. (laughs) So backstage... Tyson Kidd believes in hard work and second chances. The end. <laughs> it's painfully earnest. It's a Hallmark card worth of promo. Yeah. So moving on from that. It was fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. It's just it's just not anything. Match four, Angelo Dawkins, already in the ring, looks adorable. Big Cass comes to the ring. I struggle to remember him ever looking more soaked in <laughs> water, baby oil, whatever it was. <laughs> He looked like a newborn seal pup. Like, that is how fucking damp and slick this man looks. Important to note, Angelo Dawkins, almost as big as Big Cass, which I wish had meant more for this match, but it does not. The match starts, the crowd is kind of a mix of emotions. Why are they a mix of emotions? It is because CJ Parker is out here with a sign and is walking through the crowd with it. It says, no extra toxins on one side along you know it's an acrostic poem That's for right. nxt yeah and then this sign is recyclable on the other side which are sort of like most signs are recyclable <laughs> what are you making them out of that they're not i made this one out of animal skins <laughs> okay fine you can't you cannot take that to your local recycling center <laughs> or if you made it out of like fabric usually they can't recycle clothing the vast majority of materials most things you could just recycle what are you doing? You can recycle glass, aluminum? In theory, you can recycle them. They still end up in landfills most of the time anyway. Uh, yeah, I was just like, are you, you're boasting about the fact that your sign is made of paper. Well, All that's, right, that's why he's a heel, Bob. That's why he's a heel. <laughs> he's... <They're... laughs> but he's right, though. That's what's so annoying. <laughs> Although his understanding of what a toxin is, I fear, involves like crystals. And I'm going, <laughs> I don't like it. I do not like it. That's a reasonable assumption. So there's nothing really going on in this match except that Dawkins and Cass somewhat evenly matched in strength. Cass is the one controlling the match. We do get to see that infinitely perfect drop kick from Angelo Dawkins. Yeah. Beautiful. Every time. Love it. He got enough height to get up level with Cass. Great. Cass does his big boot and then gathers Dawkins into that toddler hold, swings him around to the left, slams him down in the move he calls the East River Crossing. Mm Mm-hmm. Not from that area. Could not tell you the significance of that. There are lots of rivers in fantasy. I assume there are some east ones. There you go. He wins. The washing machine rave music starts up. And I kind of like Cass's washing machine rave music. (laughs) Miles, was this match purely here to give CJ Parker an opportunity to come out with a sign and just stir the shit? Man, I guess. Uh, (laughs) It ain't doing anything else. You know, I really think Big Cass is just kind of spinning his wheels, waiting for Enzo to come back from wherever the fuck he went. Like, we just haven't seen him in, like, months at this point. And so I think Cass is just like, well, I just, I'm just going to beat up this job. <laughs> Which I would have liked it if Angelo Dawkins had beaten him and then Cass could be like, oh, my God, I'm losing my, you know, my whatever momentum that people talk about. It was weird that, like, Cass and CJ didn't interact at all. 
Because, like, yeah, you could have been, I would have said, like, oh, they're starting a feud between the two of them. But, like, they didn't interact at all. So, I don't know. Yeah. This episode was um, quick. We need to put on some stuff. It was a real one-match card on this one. <laughs> yeah. So, backstage, Bo Dallas and JBL. Bo Dallas is warning JBL that his followers demand another title opportunity for Bo. Bo has this stack of letters to prove it, some of which I'm like, that's just some documents that you found. <laughs> JBL counters with a reminder that recycling is important. And I was like, is he being a heel by reminding us that we should care about the well-being of whales? Like, is JBL doing heel stuff by going, you know, the Amazon? I mean, but Bo is a heel, so it felt like he was being a babyface. General manager in that but moment. But then it's not when CJ Parker does it. I, I was like, what the fuck know. is the stance on being alive on this planet? Also, I don't understand. JBL's a hardcore Republican, so I don't know. I, whatever. I know. It was so weird. I was very baffled by all of it. JBL offers Bo, if you can beat your next opponent, you get a title shot. The catch is, if he loses, he has to leave NXT forever. That's right. And who is he fighting? Well, he has five guesses. Well, five can only mean one thing. <gasps> Biggie! So I'm excited about seeing Biggie again. And now, match five, the triple threat, the actual match that matters here. The reason we showed up. That's right. Everyone enters. And in a move that is maybe a new thing for Tyler Breeze, he's announced as being from his seasonal residence in Santorini, Greece. So yeah. I'm going to report back if that changes, because last time it was Campo Grande, Brazil. We're coming on to summer. You don't want to be in Brazil. Yes. You don't want to be in Brazil in the summer. But it would be winter there. Well, depending on where you are in Brazil. Wait, the equator runs through Brazil, I believe. But I don't know. Yes. Regardless. I suppose if you're at the near the equator, then it's going to be temperate no matter what time of year it is. That's the nature of the equator. But I understand your point. Different season, different seasonal residence. Mm, yeah, otherwise it's not seasonal, is right. it? I wonder where else he has homes. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll find out. Yeah, hopefully. I'm excited to keep track of this. So Sami Zayn enters last and the crowd is pretty hyped for it. I was curious in matches where there's not champion involved, because I have noticed, you know, every now and then I do and observe. I don't always roll well for observation, but or what is that thing that you roll for? Perception. Yeah, my I would say my perception checks don't usually rate very high. Right. But I have noticed that if it is a match where there's a champion involved, the champion enters last. Yes. Typically. We've talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. So whenever there's not a championship involved. Is the way that they organize it, the person who they think is going to get the biggest reaction from the crowd, the person who they usually have enter last, and they're just counting on that? Yeah, usually. Or does it matter? I mean, there's no hard and fast rule. They do different things depending on how they feel at the time, whatever. But like, yeah, usually it's uh, usually the person who comes out last is like the bigger deal. Okay. Does that mean that the person who enters first is usually like not as big a deal? No, not necessarily. In fact, uh, okay. I would say in triple threats... The more reasonable assumption would be that the person who comes out first and the person who comes out last are the bigger deals, and the person who comes okay. out middle is the slightly less big deal. But I don't even know that it okay. applies here. I just if you're gonna apply some kind of strict ethos to it, that would be the way to go. But again, mm -hmm. it's not it's not a thing that's consistent enough to be like made into a hard and fast rule. Okay. I was just surprised that as soon as Sami Zayn entered the LA chant started up. Yeah. Which I don't think I noticed any of the other chants starting up that quickly. No, um, no, no. Definitely the LA chants start up right away with him. Yeah. The bell goes, there's a real struggle to figure out who is going to lock up with who or who wants to start shit first, which is kind of the problem of the triple threat, but also kind of the fun part. Mm -hmm. So Kid gets it going, doing double drop kicks on Zane and Breeze. And in a move that I recognized from previous smattering of triple threat matches that I have seen, Breeze throws Kid out of the ring, so it's just him and Zayn. Is that a common thing that helps keep the match controlled to some extent? Is there anything narratively important about going, well, one person's been thrown out, so now it's these two people? Or is it just a purely practical thing because it's hard to have three people wrestle, but it's much simpler to have two people? I think both are true to an extent. I think often it's a practical thing. You know, you mentioned Fatal 4-Ways at the beginning of the show, mm -hmm. which are somewhat related to triple threats. And a lot of the times in Fatal 4-Ways, you'll see two people fighting on the outside while two people fight inside the ring, that kind of mm -hmm. thing. So it's like they do a lot of wrestling. A lot of the times in wrestling, you will see 
people broken up into pairings just because it's easier to do it that way a lot of mm-hmm. the time. I think the most successful and the most interesting triple threats don't do that as often and do involve all mm-hmm. three people in the ring wrestling at the same time. You can get more creative. Like, I'm sure you'll talk about it later, but they did the one thing in this match where Kid German suplexed Zane, who was yeah. holding Breeze in the exploder suplex position. And so, like, you can do that kind of shit when you've got everybody in the ring at the same time. Um, So good. But at the same time, I do understand narratively why you would do that. And I thought Regal did a really great job, too. At one point, he mentioned that, like, he's been in triple threats before. And sometimes you just, you know, want to hang out on the outside and let the other two beat on each other for a while. And, like, that makes sense to me. Like, if I were in a legit wrestling match and it was a triple threat and the other two guys were content to just beat each other up for a while and let me take a break, I'd be like, sure. So, yeah, that does make total sense. All right, cool. Thank you. Kid gets back in and Zane does his street fighter double jump that I love every time and I haven't seen it in a while. That's right. He's going to come at Kid with the big boot, but Breeze gets him with a beauty shot. I was like, ah, the beauty shot. I just love that they're all pulling out all their moves. Yeah, it was a really good spot. So back from commercial, Zane is now on the outside. Breeze is in control. Kid battles back and kicks Breeze to the outside with both legs. Kid gets knocked away by Breeze as he tries to come, you know, jumping through the ropes. And instead, it is Sammy who comes flying over the top at Breeze, bowling him over. Sammy leaps at Kid for this pin attempt. And then that beautiful spinning bomb to the mat on Breeze and a pin attempt. Both times, both guys kick out. So Sammy's just sitting there going like, ah, (laughs) Regal's yelling, why doesn't he pin somebody? Which I was like, oh, Regal's really challenging those belief suspenders right now. Breeze retreats to the corner. Sammy pursues. He sets up for a suplex. Kid nestles in behind Zane and sets up for a suplex on Zane. It's the double suplex. That's great. Uh, I, I love it every time. I'm so happy. I love it whenever it's even more. I've seen like super cuts of just like, here's a suplex with 50 people. And <laughs> I can't imagine that it's safe, and I and I'm part of me is like I don't care. It's so cool. <laughs> so, kid sends Breeze and Zane flying back, and I got to pause it for just one second. Zane is all limbs flung wide like this handsome starfish. He looks bananas. I fucking love this shit so much. It was the best part. Zane is like the human personification of the word akimbo. Yes, he is, and I I find it extraordinary that he can do any of that in that akimbo style while still maintaining some level of control. That's high level. It's the greatest thing about him to me as a wrestler is that he in reality is being so precise and so careful, but in the process of doing that plays a character that is wild and passionate and all heart and throwing caution to the winds. He just walks that tightrope in a way that I haven't seen anybody else be able to do ever. Yeah, because I think if anybody else did it, they might die exactly, in the process. Exactly. If anybody and else did it, they would be sacrificing one part of it or the other. Yeah. Oh, he's he's fantastic. Kid and Zane struggle to their feet. It was like watching Stadler and Waldorf from the Muppets <laughs> trying to get it together to do some kind of move because they're like their legs were just wobbling like crazy. They come at each other with forearms at the exact same moment. They do that twice. Yeah. Kid locks in the sharpshooter on Zane. Until Breeze kicks Kid in the head. And I love those moments in a triple threat. That's my favorite part because yeah, it's the part whenever you're like, oh, man, nobody, they don't want the other guy to win. So they have to break up the pin, even though they're like, oh, fuck. They want that other guy to be suffering. But they're like, don't tap because right. you have to tap whenever I'm doing it. Right. Oh, so great. And the audience agrees because they start chanting all three guys, all three guys. I think triple threats might be in my top three of kinds of matches. Triple threats can be really fun. I know a lot of people are not as big of a fan of them. And some promotions, in fact, like I believe Shimmer Women Athletes has famously Mm. never done one or maybe only done one ever. Like Shimmer never does triple threats, um, which is like part of their like booking philosophy. But I think they're really fun. I'm on your side on this one, Bob. I understand it when people say that like the the fundamental drama of wrestling is best achieved when it's two people facing off against one another. But I do love me a good triple threat. Zane does that exploder suplex on Breeze, chucking him right the frick into the turnbuckle. 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 He locks a hand on Breeze and he does that walk up the ropes to do something. 
and slips and gets crotched on the ropes. Ooh. Zane <laughs> yeah. crumples and rolls to the apron. Was that a botch? It just looked real bad. I've watched this like four times trying to figure out if that was a botch. I, I don't know. Um, it looks so crisp if it is. Yeah, if it's not a botch, it was amazingly done. Because it yeah. looked like a fucking botch. It looked like he actually like fell or got pulled out of his spot. Yeah. My suspicion is that he did slip. But that uh-huh. things still went kind of the way they were going to go, because what he was doing is setting up that tornado DDT that he does. Mm. It used to be his finisher. And now, interestingly, we're going to talk about some of the stuff a little bit later. But now, instead of being his finisher, it's just kind of a move that he sometimes pulls out and that always gets countered. Mm. So because of that. And because of the way the match went from that point on, the way it didn't seem like Sammy being down and out was outside of what they had planned narratively. Yes. So I'm guessing that if it was a botch, it wasn't that much of one. He just like slipped before Breeze could pull him down. It wasn't as bad as the time that Neville just threw himself down and bounced off the ropes, but it was pretty fucking bad. Yeah, it was I'm rough. glad he fell into the ring and not on the outside because that would have been terrifying. Zane does get it together enough to do the haluva kick on Breeze. But that doesn't save him from being dumped outside the ring by Kid, who gets up to the top rope, flies down on Debris for this terrible elbow to the body. And then Kid just flops backward on Debris and pins him for three as Sammy tries to rush back through the ropes to break up the pin, but it's too late. And then we just see Sammy sitting in the ring, leaning against the ropes, head in hand, staring blankly in frustration and self-recrimination. <laughs> Tyson Kid's hand raised in victory fade to black. Yeah, they didn't even do, like, replays or anything. They just faded to black. Yeah, pretty much. They're like, oh, man, bummer. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for that breakdown, Bob. What did you think of this episode overall? I mean, it was fine. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The main event was good, but even, like, the main event, because I had to watch all this other bullshit, I was like, well, I'm sorry. I'm all chanted out now. I don't care anymore. (laughs) Honestly... The best part was probably the Ascension because I was like hyped for that stuff and just going like, all right, this is going to be quick to the point. I'm going to get in, get out, have a good time. Fair enough. Well, let's get into some more uh, of the details on how exactly we felt about this episode. In addition to things we saw and things we heard, it is time for the sights, sounds and feels of pro wrestling. So, Megan, Bob, for this episode, what did your elf eyes see? At the beginning of the triple threat, right before the bell, the crowd starts chanting Yoshi Tatsu, and neither Kid nor Breeze really does anything about it. They're just kind of like, Zane turns (laughs) to look at them. A hand on his hip, like, come on, guys. Now I you're know. just being cheeky. I saw that, too. I knew when you didn't mention the <sighs> Yoshitatsu chance that it was coming up in this segment. It was fucking tremendous. They also, I think they started chanting, we want Yoshi at one point. They did it later on, yeah. I appreciated it a lot, but I was also like, oh, God, they're doing their best and you're like shitting on it. But I was like... You know, you did Yoshitatsu wrong. The promotion deserves it, but these three guys don't deserve it. It's a weird mix. It was almost certainly the same crowd that had just seen the Battle Royal. So they were still in a Yoshitatsu appreciation mood. And I love Sammy's reaction to it. The crowd did come around eventually and, you know, Chan, this is awesome. And bolt all three guys and all that stuff. So Miles, what did your elf eyes see? I just wanted to talk a little bit more about Buddy Murphy's pants. Just because it was... It was sort of gratifying to look back at his debut match in NXT and realize that he's always been wearing those stupid fucking pants <laughs> that I don't understand. I didn't know these pants are a thing, but they are a thing. okay. He's like, it's his consistent ring gear. Like throughout his career, he wears these weird shorts with like little traily bits around the knees. I've never understood why. I don't think it even looks bad, but like. You don't have to do it, and it seems like it would get in the way and be uncomfortable. I just, every time I see him wearing those, I kind of just, like, cringe a little bit, because I would, if it were me, I would get backstage right after the match and be like, these are coming off. I'm cutting them off right now. I don't fucking care. Why did I do this to myself? 
The weird thing is that you're wearing something that is going to perpetually make you think there's a spider on you. Like, <laughs> exactly. You're just exactly. always going to be thinking that mid-match. Oh, shit. Is there a spider on me? <laughs> no, it's my fucking pants. That is exactly what I'm talking about, Bob. You nailed Ooh. it on the head. Bob, what did your Vulcaneers hear? When Bo is talking to JBL. Yes. JBL offers him the chance to guess who he's fighting. Bo says, hopefully John Cena. <laughs> JBL responds, no, Michael Wall Street. Big E, you're fighting Big E. And I was really confused. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to look this up. Michael Wall Street is <laughs> Bo's dad. It's one of his ring names as Mike Rotunda. I was still confused. I was like, what does that mean? Because JBL said it like he was saying sarcastically, no, Einstein. Right. And I was like, is, is Michael Wall Street famously super smart guy? Is that his character? So I don't know. I just looked up a thing and wanted to share my bafflement. We're going to do uh, we're going to do Bo's dad in Guess the Gimmick sometime. So stay okay. tuned for that. What did your Vulcaneers hear, Miles? Uh, this is just a thing, a, a product of watching these matches sometimes with Sharon. In the first match with the Ascension, when they come out, Byron says, if I knew I had to face these two guys in the ring, I'd regret my existence. <laughs> to which Sharon, just without missing a beat, says, do you not already? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. The man's been Savage killed. Burn. I've witnessed a murder. <laughs> All right, Bob, what did your human heart feel? I'm not sure if I can explain this. Okay. Maybe maybe it's totally obvious and I'm just only getting it now, but the extent to which Sami Zayn is the protagonist of NXT. Like the show feels like it's about him even when he's not on or he doesn't win. I don't know how they orchestrated that or if it's even intentional. It may not be. It's just extraordinary the extent to which you feel that Sami Zayn is the person whose story you are following and everybody else is kind of part of it, but they're not the main character. And it's really odd to feel that about a show that kind of categorically doesn't have a main character and yet it does. There's a reason that we started our coverage when we did. I, I just like he is the main character. That feeling is not going anywhere, Bob. You're going to continue feeling that for quite some time. And I think it's a combination of just him and who he is and how he plays this character and a combination of the way they're booking him, which is in this really smart way where he's yeah. never quite at the top. Mm. he's gotten like one title match maybe right like i think he faced both for the title once he's always right there but not there and like he's just kind of this like dude who you know if he can put it all together he's gonna be awesome and he's gonna make it all work but cesaro's just cesaro and a triple threat is a, just a triple threat shit happens in a triple threat again just this one match the fact that the way this match goes is him hitting his finisher on breeze and then Kid just, like, tossing him out of the ring, hitting a quick elbow drop, which isn't even his fucking finisher. But Breeze is still out of it from the Haluba kick, and he gets the win just before Sammy can get back to break it up. The way they're booking him and the way he's playing the characters is combining to create this feeling of, like, is it going to happen for him? And if it does, you can't wait to see it. I, yeah, it's tremendous. It, I, I can't say enough about it. Obviously. I can't fucking believe that you don't love anime. Like, that is all anime is, and it is baffling to me that you are not obsessed with it, because that is the story it is built to tell. And I get that you probably have uh, different things about it, but it's just so, I was hearing you describe it, and I'm like, so, like, most anime. <laughs> I just find that so fascinating. Maybe there is a mirror universe in which we do this podcast, but or maybe it's you and Kit, and Kit gets you to love anime by exposing you to anime that is feels like wrestling. Maybe I mean, that's a thing that I think exists that, somewhere I think in the world. That is a parallel universe. I mean, we've talked before about the parallels between wrestling and anime, and like I, I, I think that under different circumstances, I could really enjoy anime, but... Uh, but, but it's it is not, not this day. It's not in the cards. It's not this life, I'm afraid. <laughs> All right. Well, what is in your heart, Miles? What did your human heart feel? I just really enjoyed the contrast between the three backstage interviews 
from the three participants in the triple threat, the way they built that up. Because first you, oh, get, man. you get Sammy, who literally does an interview backstage with like a person you can see. She's new there. He's very nice to her. He's very polite. He does his Sammy thing where he wears his heart on the sleeve. You can see exactly how much he cares about everything. And that's Sammy Zayn. Then you get Breeze. And Breeze is this like super produced, look at the camera, scripted promo talking about how ugly his opponents are and how they're both so terribly Canadian. And, (laughs) and that's Tyler breeze. And then with Tyson, it's just like, Oh, the camera caught him in the locker room because he's getting ready for the match and taping up his hand and his wrist. You know, his speech sounds like super canned and rehearsed. Yes. Because he's not Sammy. He's not like doing it from the heart or anything. He also didn't come to find the camera. You know, the camera came to find him. And that's Tyson. And I just... I just really appreciated the contrast. I a lot of the times with matches like this, when they do this, they'll do like, okay, now the interview is going to interview Sammy. Now the same interviewer is going to interview Tyler and now Tyson. You know what I mean? It's very static. But in this one, I really appreciated how the styles of the backstage promos played into the characters and the individual uh, nature of the the wrestlers involved. So that's what my human heart felt. Wow. That is something I did not pick up on at all until you just pointed it out. And that is fascinating. I'm going to try and pay more attention to that in the future, especially in episodes where we get to see backstage promos from people who are about to go up against one another. That's really interesting. A new dimension, a new nug of knowledge. Always in wrestling. How dank. Always in (laughs) wrestling. How dank indeed. Wrestling is dank. (laughs) It is quite dank. All right. Well, those were the sights, sounds and feels of pro wrestling. It is about time for the wrestling term of the week. But first, we need to hear Bob's fanfic explaining the wrestling history of the week from episode 50, which was uh, some more women's wrestling history involving primarily Trish Stratus. So, Bob, take it away. We want puppies. The crowd chanted. Almost every eye in the building was ogling Jessica Rabbit with a hunger that bordered on manic. (laughs) Eddie Valiant rolled his shoulders and shot her an apologetic look before scowling at the crowd, many of whom laughed at his protectiveness. Roger grabbed his ears and tied them together in a bow, attempting to drown out the noise. The tag team of E&R, or just the ER, (laughs) might have been a force to be reckoned with in the ring, but there was a tacit understanding that ultimately the show was about Jessica. Why do they want guppies? Roger yelled. (laughs) Jessica gave a slow and seductive blink at the audience through her curtain of shining red hair. They're not shouting for guppies, sweetie pie. They want me to show a little more of the girls, she shrugged. Valiant and Roger helped her up onto the apron where she alighted with a sinuous grace, showing a flash of one long leg. What girls? There's only you! Breasts, Roger. They wanted to show her breasts, Valiant grunted. Roger's brow furrowed as he puzzled this over. But you're already showing them. How much more do they want? If they had their way, all of them. I don't like that, Roger declared, wrapping his arms around Jessica. What if she got cold? (laughs) You're a doll, Roger. Jessica scratched between his ears. Roger's foot stamped wildly, his tongue lolling out. (laughs) Valiant rolled his eyes and handed over his trench coat to Jessica as the opposing team made their way to the ring. Feel free to wear it. I don't want you feeling like you have to show off. Or get cold. (laughs) Jessica shrugged, the corner of her mouth quirking up. I'm just drawn this way. I can live with that, Eddie. But you're sweet to think of me. She kissed his cheek, leaving a large lipstick smack. As long as they cheer this loud one's time for me to be in the ring, they can chant whatever they want. The opposing team looked over at Jessica. One of them did the hourglass shape in the air with his hand and elbowed his teammate who nodded enthusiastically. Roger's brow wrinkled in shock and outrage. Well, that's just rude. They don't even care how nice you are and how good you are at singing. You're more than just a drawing. You're a person. I know, honey bunch. And you know. Now, go kick them to the curb. She leaned down, lips close to one of Roger's perked up ears. Then maybe we can play patty cake, hmm? (laughs) A blush stormed up Roger's face, steam wafting from his ears as his eyes turned into big thumping hearts. Eddie gave a long-suffering sigh. Jessica smiled softly. You boys have fun now. I like that. That was good. Thanks to me for thinking that up. (laughs) (laughs) I do need more characters for the fanfics. I always need a lot of options so that way I can kind of cycle through ideas because somebody might not be the right fit for like 10 fics in a row and then they might be right for the 11th fic. So it always helps to have more options than not. So if you have something that comes to mind, please let me know. 
Well, uh, it is now time for Wrestling Term of the Week, and Bob has been asking me about this one for a while, and because of something that happens in the next episode, I was finally inclined to give it to them. So, the Wrestling Term of the Week is Signature Move. Yay! So I want to start by saying that I did a little research about this, and it seems like this specific term might be more of a me and my friends thing than a wrestling in general thing. <laughs> the internet seems to see signature moves as any move associated with a specific wrestler, including their finisher, or at least that's the closest thing I could find to a consensus on the term. So this might be more personal than other wrestling terms we explore, just to put that out there ahead of time. Okay. To me, a signature move is a move that's not a finisher, but is a big important move that a wrestler uses or tries to use in pretty much every match. Sometimes they're souped up versions of standard moves that other wrestlers also use, such as Alicia Fox's Northern Lights suplex, which is only a signature move when she does it. Sometimes Mm. they're rarer moves that you don't see other wrestlers in the company use, like Sami Zayn's Blue Thunderbomb, which you associate with Sami, but which has never, ever, ever, ever won a match for him. (laughs) Often, like finishers, they have their own names, like the Dilemma, for example. So they do share a lot of the same DNA as finishers, but they rarely end matches, serving instead as big spots within matches. It's a good idea to occasionally end a match against a low-level opponent or a jobber with a signature move, just to establish that it's theoretically enough to put somebody away, but mostly it's a move that Mm. people kick out of. The most important thing to remember is that a signature move is not just any move a wrestler knows how to do. With the exception of Corey Graves, all wrestlers have a moveset, a collection of wrestling techniques they can pull off... Shots fired even now. (laughs) A collection of wrestling techniques they can pull off consistently and that speak to who they are as a wrestler and as a character. Signature moves are big moves, moves that typically lead directly to a pinfall attempt, moves that could believably end a match even though they almost never do. Oftentimes a wrestler will have some kind of taunt or gesture as a lead-up to a signature move to let the crowd know it's about to happen and get them excited, such as when Cesaro indicates he's about to swing a bitch. Signature moves are also frequently countered as part of the narrative of a wrestling match because it makes sense that a wrestler's opponent would have figured out a way to counter that move ahead of time. Again, these are things you also see a lot with finishers, and honestly, the best way to describe a signature move in the shortest amount of time is that it's a mini finisher. It's like sort of a finisher light. And actually, signature moves and finishers will sometimes trade places when a wrestler's finisher changes. A fantastic example of this was the last match we watched with Sasha Banks, where Bailey kicked out of her neckbreaker finisher bankrupt, forcing Banks to get the win with a new submission move. That move, the submission, will become her finisher, and Bankrupt is now one of her signature moves. And actually, she's going to debut another signature move on the next Mm -hmm. episode, and I am super excited about it, which is why we did this today. (laughs) Okay, I'm excited. So uh, that's signature moves, Bob. I hope that clears things up a little bit. Yes, that does help. I'm curious about, are there some things that are not signature moves because they're not a thing that somebody is intended to kick out of? Like they don't serve that function. They're just a spot that they do every time. Because the trio of arm drags that Sami Zayn does, he does it almost every time it's a singles match. But it's not a thing that he's going to do a pin attempt afterwards. He's just doing it. I wouldn't call that a signature move. There's not always a pin attempt because sometimes they're like submissions. Like the dilemma, for example, is Emma's thing Mm, on the ropes, you know. But they're definitely bigger moments in the match than a series of arm drags, for sure. Okay. And more unique to the wrestler. Signature being the operative word. Okay. Because like other wrestlers will will do arm drags. That's true. I just associate doing three in a row as a very like, that's the Sami Zayn thing, but I haven't been watching that much wrestling. Three in a row can become signature moves. Eddie Guerrero famously did three vertical suplexes in a row, and that was called the Three Amigos, and it was like a big signature move for him. Oh, okay. All right, cool. So that was Wrestling Term of the Week. Come back on the next episode for Bob's fanfic explaining the signature move. And now, Bob, it is time for us to close this episode out with the Cheap Pop Quiz. How many points do I have right now? I believe you have 11. That sounds right. Yes, 11 is the number. Question number one. Who does Adrian Neville face in the main event of the NXT TakeOver Go Home show? Is it A, Aiden English, B, Baron Corbin, C, Kurt Hawkins, 
D, Angelo Dawkins, or E, Enzo Amore? I know Kurt Hawkins is there. Okay. Can you tell me if Kurt Hawkins is still main roster? Or is that gonna is that too much of a spoiler? Uh, he's still main roster. You know what? I'm gonna say Kurt Hawkins, because Kurt Hawkins hasn't wrestled a match yet in this. If this is the go-home show, if this is still this taping, then he's still fresh enough to do it, I think. Whereas English and English, I mean, it's not like Raleigh put English through much. But anyway, <laughs> I'm going to say Kurt Hawkins. All right. Kurt Hawkins is your answer. I hope I hope he's there and I hope he's wearing that little choker that he wears. It's adorable. <laughs> Question number two. Next episode features a one on one match between Camacho and Adam Rose. How does yeah. that match end? Kissing. <laughs> not an option. Is it a Rose wins cleanly, ending the feud just before NXT takeover? B. Camacho wins via cheating, leading to another match at NXT TakeOver. C. Rose wins via countout because Camacho doesn't want to get in the ring, leading to another match at NXT TakeOver. D. Camacho wins via disqualification when Captain Comic attacks him, leading to another match at NXT TakeOver. Or E. Rose wins via disqualification when Captain Comic attacks him aligning with Camacho and leading to a tag team match at NXT TakeOver with Camacho and Captain Comic facing off against Adam Rose and the Bunny. Oh, pl- I, I, I'm choosing E. Like, I don't care. <laughs> I just need it. I just need this so badly. I don't care if I get none points. I fucking want... I'm (laughs) placing my stamp on what I want for the world, and it's this dumb shit. Okay, use your answer. And question number three. Next episode also features a one-on-one match between Bo Dallas and Big E, in which Bo gets a title shot if he wins, but has to leave NXT if he loses. How does that match end? Is it A, Big E wins cleanly and the crowd boos Bo out of NXT? B, Big E wins cleanly and Bo has to be dragged out of NXT by security? (laughs) C, in a bit of poetic justice, Big E wins with the help of an exposed turnbuckle, and Bo tells the NXT audience they stink before leaving. D, Bo wins with the help of an exposed turnbuckle, just like he did in their first match, and will face whoever walks out of TakeOver as the champion. Or E, Bo wins with the help of an exposed turnbuckle, just like he did in their first match, and is added to the championship match at TakeOver, making it a triple threat with him, Tyson Kidd, and Adrian Neville. I think Big E wins cleanly, and Bo Dallas has to get dragged out by security. Okay, Big E wins cleanly, and Bo Dallas is dragged out by security. That is answer B. And come back on our next episode to see how many more points Bob has picked up in this edition of the Cheap Pop Quiz. All right, well, that's about all we got for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. As this episode is being released, Megan Bob is on vacation, so it's just me for this particular outro. I will not take too much of your time, but I do want to say thank you to all of our patrons, everybody who uh, supports us over at patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan. You may have noticed at this point that there is a small token of appreciation uh, to all of you <laughs> up on our Patreon site right now. Actually, it's a somewhat large token of our appreciation. Actually, it is the uh, what if blank but pro wrestling that was promised as a result of us meeting our $175 goal. In this case, of course, it is what if cats but pro wrestling, which takes the form of a very long <laughs> fanfic, essentially, that I wrote, which is essentially what if a group of NXT wrestlers were doing the Royal Rumble but also doing cats. So I won't say anything more about that right now. I have a full description of it up on Patreon, and that is followed by the actual fanfic, which is, again, very long, but I hope very enjoyable. Uh, it's chock full of references both to cats and to NXT, if you can find them. That is how much I love all of you, is that I wrote a 9,000-word fanfic combining wrestling and cats. So go check that out if you are a patron. If you're not a patron and that sounds interesting, uh, now might be a great time to become one, especially because we have our $200 goal currently in our sights, 
And uh, that is another bonus episode featuring myself and Megan Bob covering some piece of media voted on by our patrons, like the Scooby-Doo WrestleMania mystery episode, or the Hotful Boyfriend episode, or What We Do in the Shadows, or Great British Bake Off, any of those bonus episodes in which we veer away somewhat from uh, professional wrestling to varying degrees. That is our next goal that we currently have up, so if you want to help us reach it, go over to patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan. Sign up for as little as $2 a month. We really appreciate all your help, anything you can give. And if you can't, obviously, we understand that too. If you're not a patron, you want to be a patron, but you can't be. You don't want to be a patron for whatever reason. It's really okay. We love all of you. We really appreciate everybody who listens to this show, everybody who helps us make this show both financially and just by, you know, by listening to it and giving us an audience. So thank you all so much. We will see you in two weeks with a new episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. I don't know if I can do this, but uh, bye! The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman and Megan Bob, with logo design by Claire Mulcairin. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. The NXT Wrestling Fan is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to help us out, go to patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan and join our fantastic stable of contributors. They're the best. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. I have been spoiled by Taz and Excalibur. Taz and Excalibur have spoiled me for everything else. And when we get Mauro... Uh, when we get okay. Mauro Ronaldo on NXT commentary, I think you're going to love the shit out of him because he is like, yeah, because he does know wrestling. And not only that, but he is he is such a personality like like all these guys like your, your Tom Phillipses and your Tony Dawson's or whoever, like they're fucking interchangeable. And I can't half the time you can't even tell the difference. You fucking know when Mauro Ronaldo is on commentary. <laughs> I am developing a soft spot for Tom Phillips, although I will say I'm not sure if it's Tom Phillips or Tony Dawson, but I'm pretty sure it's no, Tom no, no. Phillips. No, no, Tony Dawson's been gone for a while. He's been gone for okay. a while. Okay, all right. So I, I'm developing a soft spot for Tom <laughs> Phillips, who I definitely would recognize out of a lineup. We want pup. Oh, wait. We want puppies. Nope, that's not how you chant. What the fuck was that?